You so much as scowl at my niece or any other kid in this school and I hear about it and I'm coming looking for you. Take this quarter. Go downtown and have a rap gnaw that thing off your face. Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and welcome to a special episode, episode 76. Yeah, it it's kind been, of feels that way. Yeah. It's been a while, hasn't it been? It does, um, and many things have changed since um, we last talked, like Black Panther now is ruining everybody's life you in think the so? Oscar land. Because of the SAG? I think so. Um, I just imagine that an award given out by actors and, you know, whatever the other not you know award the vo- other voting branches that gets to vote um winning best picture over other things that are also going to be nominated for best picture in the oscars um has got to count for something i like i like how we said we weren't going to talk about the oscars after last week's episode we're not we're here talking we about are. the sags <laughs> oh, there you go. god damn you you're twisted little I twisted it. all right let's get pulls this is it mario this, this is, is it. week the four the last culmination. The four pack um, we are mutually assuredly destroyed, I guess. By our enemies at Thimble Island. I think um, if I am destroyed, it is that I don't want to drink uh, any more stouts for a while. Yeah, I think... I think I'm all, I think I'm all stouted out. What do, we, what do we transition to? I think we transition into like a nice amber or, yeah. or some darker... Like the brown ales, you know? Yeah, we should try to find some more browns again. Yeah, we come yeah I'm, back, I'm come back out. Okay, over stouts too, man. Yeah, I've had. Let's do some Germans. Let's do. Yeah. Let's do. Go back to the Germans. Let's get a couple of Germans on this podcast. Yeah. Um. This is Chipotle ginger flavored. This is the big one. This Russian one imperial saved. stout, uh, brewed with lactose, chipotle peppers, and fresh ginger. So nothing added in after the fact it was brewed with it. Let's uh, hit these together. Well, they still added ginger, which you don't technically need to add to a beer, but whatever. It smells fine. I think it's the best of the four. Because it's subtle. It's not overwhelming. You do get a nice, slight chipotle. That ginger has a nice little snap to it. Um, Maybe my mouth is dead, but I don't... <laughs> I, don't really I mean, taste. it is like negative 1,000 degrees, you know, wind chill outside. I don't really taste it. anything. No, it's, it's incredibly subtle. Um, but man... I don't know. I don't have much else to say about Mutually Assured Destruction. It's an okay beer overall. Yeah, it's a fairly sturdy stout that I suppose you can... I guess the moral of the story is that you can throw a lot of stuff in a Mutually Assured Destruction stout and it will taste like a stout. pretty good. It's, well, depending. It'll taste fine. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not going to taste All these have been gross. fine. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> none of them have been transcendent, which makes me think whether or not this little experiment was worth doing. Well, it makes me wonder... <laughs> I mean, I think I guess we should have kind of guessed this off of the fact that they had to kind of create... I think we know we're shitting on Thimble Island. But they kind of had to create a gimmick of um, four different flavors to sell their, their four-pack. So. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's... So, shit on me instead of Thimble Island. <laughs> right. I mean, hey, it was an idea. Yeah. It was a good idea. I mean, I, I liked it. I thought it was a good plan. It's a good way to close out January. Yeah, yeah. For, for our good. listeners, yeah, yeah. it's... Now from February, a, from a but... gimmick perspective, it was good. Um, or if you're in Europe, it's not February. 
What is it? I don't know, man. It's Europe. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah, they have a different calendar. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's part of the new the Brexit thing. England yeah. wants to go on an American calendar instead of European calendar. Yeah. That's what it is, right? Yeah, but of course. Obviously. I mean, Theresa May. Oh, I never even put... I didn't put two and two together, Mario. You did it. Okay, so we're wrapping a nice little bow on 2018. Um, overall, you said last year you thought 2018 was a pretty good year. I think it was good. I thought it was garbage, honestly, for the yeah. most part. I wasn't a big fan. Um, I did like the fact that expectations were met. Of my top five anticipated films of last year, mm-hmm. uh, I, I really liked four of them. Mm-hmm. I think only Hold the Dark kind of missed the mark for me. Missed, Hold the Dark was still okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I looked forward to Attorney's Gate a lot and Widows. You were never really there, and Halloween, and all four; those were in my those were the rest of my top five, and I liked all of them. Yeah, I, you know, four, three of those movies show up in my top three. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's um, I'm always I think it's a good year in movies when my I feel like my ass gets blown off a couple of times. Yeah, I, I didn't. And get I that feel all. like it. Did, I feel like this happened to me. It's not 2017. I, mean, I think that's what it is. Maybe 2017 was such a high mark, um, and you know, 2017 came after a few years. Like a long while, kind of of kind of subpar years overall. Well, you had I like a, a, a cluster of pretty good movies, maybe something rising above, you know, that just kind of generally mediocrely good. Yeah. Um, you know, you have. I feel like 2015 is a good example where you just have the or 2000. Yeah, 15. You just have the Revenant, which I think like kicked my ass all over the place. And then other than that, it was just kind of like a bunch of stuff. Okay, yeah, I mean, well-made things, but nothing that nothing like, that like transcended that you know that, shines that, that next level. really super through. I think for like you know 2015, I really like Sicario, um, Inside Out, but like yeah, you know, I know what you mean. Brooklyn, you really liked Brooklyn. Don't forget that one. Um, yeah, I did really like Brooklyn, but it's not over the. I wasn't like over the moon. No, about fair. Brooklyn. I think it was just but, a well-made movie. Um, yeah, for me, like there was a couple of these, but I, I think. 2017 spoiled me in that there was a lot of movies oh, yeah. that, that just kind of blew me away. Um, and so, yeah. So, with that being said, we now look forward look ahead. to 2019. And so far, expectations have been met. We're back to M. Night Shyamalan being a subpar filmmaker. But he makes a lot of money. So he That's gets true. to make whatever. And he makes all of the money. He gets to take it like to himself, too, because he's finally like, well, all Jason that shit. Well, Jason Blum's going to take some. No, Jason's gonna take some. Jason Blum didn't produce that. Yeah, he did. Did he? Yeah, he's now in in league with in, with Blumhouse. I don't think it's a Blumhouse. Maybe it's not a Blumhouse movie, but no, it's, it's Universal. But ah, why are we talking about this? I did, I just want to make a quick remark about M Night Shyamalan who got stuck in. All right. Although Serenity apparently did not at all strike people the way they thought it was going to be. I That's can't wait it. for that to come out on on Netflix or something. Yeah, Cannot that sounds wait. fun. Uh, read the twist to Serenity if you haven't heard about it. It's <laughs> pretty great, and also. This uh, this movie, this Liam Neeson movie, getting good reviews is confusing. Cold Pursuit. Cold Pursuit, like being like getting decent reviews and being called a good dark comedy. I'm confused by that. I so, thought The Gray was going to be a good dark comedy too, but The Gray was mistaken. great. I really liked The Gray. Yeah, it was yeah, not a dark too. comedy <laughs> in the least. Um, so yeah, so we're just going to talk a bit about the 2019 films we're looking forward to early on in uh-huh. the year. Um. I think we're going to maybe discuss a couple of films. Well, there's a couple of things that are coming out right away that we're not, I don't think we're really going to talk. Like, no, um, you, know, you don't want to have an in-depth conversation about like Velvet Buzzsaw. Yeah, because we're going to be talking about that next week. Yeah, you know, um, I'm not talking about 
you know, Steven Soderbergh's new film, um, High Flying Bird. High Flying Bird, because that comes out the week after. Yeah. These are movies we're going to be talking about. I'm yeah. pretty sure we're going to talk about these over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, we're. I'm really looking forward to Velvet Buzzsaw. I love Nightcrawler. You did not. I did not, uh, but I think he's. I think Dan Gilroy is is good and a worthy filmmaker. So I'm really interested to see what this is. Yeah, and I loved Unsane. I don't think you've even seen it, but you'd like other Soderbergh. No, but I'll so get to it. These are yeah. obviously movies that would be in contention for one of our lists, mm-hmm. but they're not going to be talked about right now because, you know, they're, they're, yeah, yeah. we're going to be talking about them soon. Um, I guess I'll start. Go ahead. Uh, this isn't a... It's, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to do a couple back and forth and then we'll kind of jump into our top five. Um, this is kind of a fun one. It's uh, one I'm cautiously optimistic for in that I don't think it's going to be very good, but... <laughs> It is a horror remake uh-huh. of a movie that is near and dear to little Mario's heart. Um, it is directed by what would will now be second time director because his first feature length film is coming out this year as well, Polaroid. Um, Lars Kelberg. Uh, it's child's play. Um, yeah, you've been Aubrey, talking about this for a while. Aubrey Plaza and Brian Tyree Henry. And I think that's the, the two big reasons I'm most looking forward to this. Um, you know, Two decent main cast members. I don't think this is going to be anything special. Um, it's interesting that they are making a remake to Child's Play while Don Mancini is still continuing on with the original Chucky series, mm-hmm. you know, that Brad Dorff series. Um, this is just nostalgia for me. And the fact that while I liked Curse of Chucky and um, Cult of Chucky was all right, oh, man. They, they definitely feel their budget. And so it's nice to get back to a, a big budget sort of child's play film. Hopefully. I mean, I hope they don't mess Chucky up with all their big budgetness. Yeah. Like they're talking about, you know, it now being an AI thing. I, I think it's going to be like the twist is going to be actually it's a possessed doll, blah, blah, blah. But um, there's obviously going to be things that suck about it. I'm not expecting anything. Well, yeah, it's a, child's, <laughs> it's a child's play remake. But like if I get some good gore. Sure. And too decent. Like, Brian Tyree Henry has yet to make me not want to see everything he's in. I mean, I'm sure I've liked him in everything he's been in. I'm sure it's going to be funny. You know what I mean? Can Aubrey Plaza and Brian Tyree Henry not make a movie that's got some... some I, you know, I don't know. Some good Seth Graham Smith is one of the co-directors of this. And you saw Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter? Or mm. no? No. No. Not funny? Yeah. He's, his humor is a bit... Well, then Aubrey Plaza's in the wrong movie. Yeah, I, I, I think I think this may be something where the performances kind of maybe hopefully topple the film. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel that way about a movie that is not. We just talked about it off air. That's not in my top five movies. I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, is it is the second chapter of it? Yeah, that that almost made my list as well. We both really like chapter one. I liked it so much. I'm pretty sure chapter two is going to be ruined. Um, yeah, uh, I, there's just a lot of a stuff that happens. About. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the novel, like in the adult portions of the novel, which are terrible. And if they leave any of them in, I don't really know what I'm going to be able to do with myself. It's one of the reasons that I liked the first it so much. Is that they took out? Is that all they took out all the garbage is. and they just kind of left the dread and the fear over this clown. Um, but if they if they leave in, you know, if they leave in all that other stuff, I don't know. I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna work. It's gonna be. It's gonna seem preposterous instead of scary. It'd be great if Andy Musetti um, kind of just went crazy and like has Bill commit suicide and Stan becomes the lead. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be great? Just like James McAvoy kills himself yeah, within the tough. first five minutes. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And it's just 
I'm the hell, pro then. Who the hell is even playing Stan? I don't, that, he's not even like nearly in, in this cast list. Well, this is, um, I mean, this is a great, Andy Bean just takes over. This is a great modern... Um, I've been noticing this a lot. Like Movies can really only afford like three or four stars. And then they just kind of fill in with other people and they try well, to convince you I don't that know. they're stars. This might be a weird year to be saying that. There's a lot of movies that are just like going star, 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 balls star, star. out. Yeah, I mean, stars. I've got a couple on my list. So. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing I'm really looking forward to in this, like, it's it's sad that they're losing, you know, the writing of of Carrie Fugawa, Fuganaga, Fuganaga, ah, whatever. Um, but I was really on board the Bill Hader as Richie Train from Oh, like, that's the word fantastic, Go. and Jessica it's Chastain. Like, yeah, and like those two are the ones. James McAvoy should be fine, um, but those two are the ones where I was look really looking forward to seeing what they do. And I, I just don't. I feel as though maybe they're kind of fall into some of the pits that the adult portions do. Hmm. I, I hope. I hope they do. We'll see. But we'll see. Yeah. But yeah, I, I am also little lo- not optimistic Listen, in that. If that Paul Bunyan, if that Paul Bunyan fucking statue comes to life, I'm walking out of the theater. Okay. I said to myself, twenty years ago, no, a little more, less than twenty years ago, eighteen years ago, that when I went to see the Rolling Stones at Foxborough Stadium, if they played "You Can't Ever Get What You Want," I'm leaving, and I fucking left. So you can rest assured that if the Paul Bunyan statue comes to life in this movie, I'm walking out of the theater. Walking <laughs> out, Mario. Will you kick over a, like a trash can on the way? If there happens to be one in the middle of the aisle of the movie theater, then I'll, yes, I'll bring, I'll I'll bring one to so you kick it. Thank you. Um, Uncut Gems is, is the one that didn't make my list. It's a new Softy Brothers film. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like Good Time. I'm not one of the people that kind of like sing the praises of Good Time. No, it's a good movie. I thought movie. Good Time was good, yeah. yeah. And I thought um, Robert Pattinson was really good. It actually made me want to see more Robert Pattinson. Things. Yeah, and, and the thing I really like about this is Adam Sandler, once again, getting back to a real role. He's he's good in the dramatic roles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Punch Struck Love. Uh, I, I also like him in... That new Netflix, Netflix thing, the Meyerowitz. Uh, yeah, the Meyerowitz stories is fine, but the one I'm thinking of is the based on the Eddie Vedder song, and I don't know why the name's slipping me. The 9-11 movie. Oh, Love, Rain Over Me. Yeah, it was Rain Over Me, yeah. Very on the nose and very melodramatic, but he sells it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lakeith Stanfield also is going to be in this, and I, yeah. I'm really enjoying Lakeith Stanfield, what he's doing in Atlanta, mm-hmm. what he did in Sorry to Bother You. Um, Those seem like a good group of people for a Softy Brothers movie. Like, Lakeith Stanfield yeah. and the Softy Brothers, I feel like, is a, a match made in heaven. Yeah, and just the premise sounds fun, the entire, like, Diamond mm-hmm. uh, company kind of heist, uh, slight crime thing. I think I think it'll be kind of lighthearted, but really well done, lighthearted. Yeah, with, with strong drama. Um, yeah, I mean the last one I want to mention before we get to like a list of things I'm actually taking seriously is um, this Downton Abbey movie, oh. which I actually just me and my wife just kind of binge watched the whole series of Downton Abbey, and it's ridiculous and terrible. Um, but once you've spent a lot of time watching something, I can see the appeal of knowing that there's a movie coming out that's going to kind of round out all these characters and will kind of be the exclamation point. Um, it's kind of what everyone has been hoping that David Chase is going to do with The Sopranos for however long that show's been over. Um, and we won't get into either of our feelings about The Sopranos. Um, but I think it's nice for people. And I think it'll make a pretty good amount of money. It's sad. I keep hoping that they're going to find a way to bring Dan Stevens' ghost. Yeah. Like, <laughs> bring I love him Dan back Stevens. from the dead and, and let him be in this. Um, we'll talk about Dan Stevens in a f- few weeks. Um, oh, yeah, we will. That's right. Um, 
So yeah, it'll be fun. To, it'll be fun to see. It's not a movie that I'm I'm thinking is going to be good, but the production value of the show is routinely pretty good. So I imagine with a movie budget, it'll be better. Um, and the fact that it's I only have to watch one of them instead of you know sixty of them is a real <laughs> is a real plus for me. Never seen Downton Abbey. Not going to see that movie. You're not missing anything. Yeah. So. Um. I'll just quickly run through them. Um, so, yeah, I, I had a couple more that didn't make my top five that I'll just quickly run through. Yeah, yeah. Um, the new Ari Oster film, I don't like Hereditary that much. I don't think Tony Collette was worthy of a nomination like every fucking person in the world thought she was. She's good in a horror, she was good so in the horror fun. role, but whatever. Um, and I think Hereditary had a lot of good things going for it, but it kind of missed the mark. But uh, Midsummer, I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. I'm always a fan of young couple goes somewhere and, it, you know, Hits into badly. a cult. Oh, yeah, that's always... And, uh, you know, they go to Sweden, and <laughs> there's a pig in cult. That sounds fun. Yeah. Florence Pugh, Will Poltier. Oh, we I like think... Florence Pugh. Yeah. She did a lot of good fighting work this for... year. I'm even looking forward to fighting for for the family. Well, that's... Yeah, that's... I've, that was yeah. her. That we, we, talk, we talked about that earlier when we talked about King Lear, that she was like in a wrestling movie, and that, you know... Yeah. That WWE-branded content which is, is still, coming out yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also looking forward to Claire Denis uh, English language debut High Life um, mm-hmm. kind of big sci-fi guy I do like what Robert Pattinson's doing quite often Julia Pinoche is always good to look watch um, don't like Mia Goth well, what's um, this? What's with the space movies all of a sudden because James Gray is a space movie coming out yeah, too Ad Astra, Ad Astra. Which, I don't know man people I mean that one that sounds like an interesting premise for a movie but why are we why is all these people want to go to space why did we make why did we make back-to-back volcano movies and comet movies you think that's where we are now it's like the director like the it's like the highbrow you know space drama uh yeah i guess it makes sense too because a few years ago we had things like the martian and gravity come out and so Mm -hmm. people maybe were inspired by that so it kind of comes in those waves um yeah i know i'm not looking forward to ad astra and high life i i've liked what claire denise done before mm-hmm. and it's gonna be interesting to see her do an english language film and hopefully something that kind of gets robert patterson i think this might be a little more known than than a uh, good time was so maybe getting him something more in the foreground as a good actor well i don't good. think he can i mean i'm gonna be i don't know robert pattinson um i wouldn't be surprised. good good friend of the podcast uh, i think robert pattinson and i think Kristen stewart too really don't give a shit if anyone knows what they're doing or goes to see their movies anymore i think they're just both so happy to be as far away from the Twilight shit and as each they other. possibly can. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's, a, that's something that the Harry Potter kids, I feel like, are having. Maybe not... Um, um, Dan- What's the fucking... I mean, I'm pretty sure Emma Watson wants that money. No, no, it's not about the money. It's just the fact that, like, Emma Watson is just kind of... She's her, still leading She's Hermione it, in all of these movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like my Daniel daughter, Radcliffe and Rupert Daniel Grant Radcliffe, are yeah. trying to like kind of are doing things outside of it. But they're still he's still Harry Potter and he's still Ron Weasley. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think anyone. I don't think people look at. I don't think people look at Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart anymore. Has those characters? I don't. I don't think so either. I think they've they've done enough to kind of remove themselves from that from that kind of like typecasting or that yeah. box that they put themselves in. Um, and the last one I'm looking forward to before we get into our top fives is Knives Out. That mm-hmm. murder mystery who died, fucking love who done it. So we talked about that during the scream episode. Um, no matter what the internet wants to say, I still think Ryan Johnson's a good director. I like Brothers Bloom. I love Brick. Um, Looper's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cast, you know, the cast is it's great. A good cast, it's yeah. Daniel. Like we were just talking about how there's no movies with major casts. This one is kind of an I've example of one. Has like yeah, you know, yeah. Craig, uh, Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Michael Shannon. You know, so this. 
who knows? Hopefully it's going to be good. Um, I have faith that it's going to be good. I, I don't know. I like Murder Mystery Whodunits, and Ryan Johnson hasn't really super let me down yet. Mostly because yeah. I found Last Jedi hilarious, because fuck Star Wars. No, Last Jedi, I don't understand. But maybe I just don't like Star Wars enough, but I thought Last Jedi was fine. I'm not sure what anyone's it's actually talking like, about. It's actually, I think, maybe the second best made of the Star Wars films. Like, well, I, I like Rogue. I think Rogue One's kind of like the technically best. Um, in terms of, like, a technical achievement. But, like, Last Jedi actually has significantly well, Last well Jedi, shot uh, Traditionally, sequences. for me, and we don't, we shouldn't get, like, too hung up on Star Wars, but there's nothing... Yeah, because neither of us give a shit. Nothing <laughs> cool ever happens in Star Wars movies cinematically. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But Ryan Johnson laid out a couple of really awesome cinematic scenes in that movie. Yeah, that fight scene. Uh, the fight Red scene, Room fight scene. The, the crown room, or, or whatever the fuck it is. Um, you know, the two... Dis- the two um, Star Destroyers getting blown up, like those are all, like one the flying the transporter through a Star Destroyer is fucking awesome. I don't care what anybody says, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, all right, let's get to these. Let's do our top I fives. Uh, I guess I'll start uh, because this is a movie that we really don't know if it's going to come out in 2019. I have faith it will. Um, there's no real plot details. Just a writer, a director, a cinematographer. Roger Deakins doing the cinematography. Mm-hmm. Sam Mendes directing it. Mm-hmm. World War One movie, nineteen seventeen. Oh, that was my five too. Oh, nice. Right, well, right there. Look at that. Seventeen. Um, World War One, I, I find eminently interesting uh, mm. from a visual standpoint. Um, we still, neither of us have seen. Uh, you know, they will never. Leave. No, but it's getting a yeah. wide release. Yeah, next no, I week, saw I that. Yeah. Um, I've been really looking forward to that film. Yep. Uh, just the entire inhumanity of World War One's fascinating, and it's been a topic that we don't cover at all in, in in fiction in terms of film fiction i think yeah heavily um i like jarhead a lot jarhead is a, a really a solid yeah. anti-war movie mm-hmm. um kind of attacking the machismo of war uh roger deakins is going to get back to doing you know real work not cgi cinematography um which will be nice hopefully maybe if this film looks like I expect it to, people will be like, "Oh right, we should probably give Roger Deakins like an Oscar for another Oscar." Looking, yeah. no, it does like have, doing practical effect. It's um, uh, cinematography it's scheduled work. for Christmas. Yeah, I know. It's just yeah, it's still so, you know. Well, the fact that there's only two actors listed as being attached to it, uh, one of the it's one of them I've never heard of, uh, Dean and, Charles Chapman and, and uh, George McKay, who was in um, Captain Fantastic, who was the the interesting son in Captain Fantastic, so. Um, yeah, that was actually my number five as well. So what's your number four? Uh, my number four is the Roger Eager's follow-up to The Witch, The Lighthouse. Um, William Dafoe. Mm-hmm. Robert, is this, is, I'm guessing this is not your number four. No, no, no. I didn't have it on my list. Um, I, I like The Witch a lot uh, from a storytelling standpoint in the sense that he didn't give a fuck if people understood it mm-hmm. um and william defoe has gone back to back to back including his narration in <laughs> uh vox lux for me um that you know and, and you have robert Pattinson playing off him i think those two are going to play really well off of each other it's going to yeah. be visually it's going to be a film that i think is, is stunning um you know not a lot known about this you just know it's kind of you know what it, uh, i mean horror story yeah. but but really, at the same time... It's black and white, yeah. too, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think the plan is for it to be black and white. Um, but Roger Eager's kind of defied expectations with the witch um, in a lot of ways that I think 
a lot of horror filmmakers haven't done recently, mm-hmm. even though a lot of people said they have. Um, only one other kind of horror film really did that for me recently, uh, which we'll talk about in a long time, <laughs> um, and slightly soon. Um, and so I'm really, really anticipating this one. I think for the very least, it's going to be a beautiful movie to look at mm-hmm. as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that's, and that's why the it doesn't like lighthouse appealing. horror movie. Right. I'm the only I reason I'm not li- looking. Did I say for- White House? Lighthouse horror. No, you movies. said Lighthouse. Oh. White House horror movies every day of our yeah, life. Exactly. Um, I just found The Witch really boring, but it was technically and aesthetically it's because Anna Taylor really beautiful. Joy is in it. No, it's just just. Have, have I shit on her in this podcast before? So. I'm not a big. I do not like her. Okay. There's something just there's something about her acting that's stilted to me, incredibly stilted. I think a lot of people have are really stilted actors recently, but that's just where we are now, Mario. That's. I guess so. <laughs> That's where we are. Um, my number four is a movie that actually came out. It debuted at Toronto Film Festival last year. Um, and I was kind of hoping that it was going to get a release in 2018. And it didn't. It's getting pushed all the way back to March, late March um, of this year. And that is um, Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell. Um, oh, I have not heard of Which has at all. Elizabeth Moss. Um, a lot of other. It's another big cast of like, you know, hipster so-and-sos. Um, it's, a, it's a, you know, a rock Ooh, Dan Stevens. I'm a Dan Stevens guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's, she's a, the lead singer of a, of a rock band um, who flip, kind of flips her lid. Um, the trailer is really long and awkward. Um, it's just Elizabeth Moss giving a speech um, to a camera that's circling. Um, I, just, I kind of like Elizabeth Moss a lot sometimes. And um, watching her, I'm just kind of excited to watch her lose it on camera. In a in a rock and roll environment, I think that's a really awesome did you, idea. Did you see Listen Up, Philip? Yeah, oh yeah, uh, that's a good one. I yeah. like Listen Up, Philip. I like Alex Ross Perry. I think that's only that's only one of his I've seen. Is, um, is Listen Up, Philip. But so it's 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 one of the, it's been on my radar for a while. Um, I hope it's good. I hope she's great in it. I have a feeling this is going to be another one of those you know early release movies that everyone's like, well, Elizabeth Moss, you know, or maybe and maybe people will things. see Dan Stevens and be like, oh, Dan Stevens is great. Yeah. He needs to be the next Bond, goddammit. If anybody's going to become the next Bond, it should no, be Dan Stevens. It's, I think Idris is already contractually obligated to be the next Bond. So. Well, Dan Stevens just can be also Bond. He could just be like a Bond that's in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Just waiting for Idris Elba to roll his ankle. Uh, not again. A lot of deep, a lot of deep-voiced growling at each other. All right. Um, so my number three, I think, could possibly be on your list is another follow-up for a sophomore director, mm-hmm. written and directed by Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. Us. I didn't put it on my list because it's coming so soon. Yeah, this was just outside. I was like, March 22nd. It's mm-hmm. fair enough to be outside of there. Um, you know, I'm not, not seeing, once again, Elizabeth Moss talking about Elizabeth yep. Moss, but that that I was looking forward to it. I like Get Out a lot, um, but the, that that trailer... 100% sold that film for me. The trailer um, is awesome. That trailer is amazing. That's one of the best trailers in recent memory. Because I don't know what's... <laughs> I don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, so when I went to go see if Beale Street could talk, I there was, there was the one time I saw audible exclamations of like 20 different people. It was like a full theater uh-huh. say, we have to see this film. I think that movie's going to be fucking huge. I think so too. Like, Because that trailer sells it. Even yeah. people that weren't huge on Get Out or, you know, I think are anticipating this just because you don't know what's going on and that's what like a, a trailer should do i think that's the perfect cut. that's the one we don't need to see exactly. another trailer for that film yeah yeah um but it has a good task behind it i like winston duke 
I like Lupita Nyong'o. Um, Tim Heidecker is I just love the fact that just Tim Heidecker is there. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's going to be a good, I think it's going to be a good movie. Um, yeah, and I, I'm not even looking for like the social commentary I get with Get Out. I just, he's a good horror director. Well, he's an excellent horror the director. The things I liked about Get Out, you're right, it were not like the social commentary stuff. I, I think it, I think it, I think it wrapped itself up too quickly and, um, he became too willing to turn into a murderer, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, for me, um, but it was just coolly done. It was still cool. It was still awesome. Um, my number three, then, I'm, de- I'm debating whether I want to go for three. I think my number three is going to be the new Jim Jarmusch movie, which has been billed as a, com- a zombie comedy. comedy. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen this one. Um, the Dead Don't Die. Um, it, it has another one of those huge casts. So Adam Driver, Bill Murray, Selena Gomez, Chloe Sevigny, Steve Buscemi, Tilda Swinton, Caleb Landry Jones, Daniel Craig, Danny Glover. Um there's not a ton of information about what's happening here. There's a lot of, you know, um, there's a quote online of Bill Murray saying that was like the funniest script he'd ever read. Um, but I think Jim Jarmusch has entered a really interesting phase of his career um, in the sense that Patterson, I don't think was on anybody's radar, but is an amazing fucking movie. Um, if we did, if we ever talk about like 2016 um, you know our list for favorite movies of 2016. Patterson's going to be. Um, I never got around to, to see Patterson. Oh, excellent. It's on Amazon Prime now. I think. Yes. Yeah, um, it's got um, Adam Driver. Um, it's a phenomenal movie, and I really liked only um, only Lovers Left Alive. Right, too. That, and that's kind of where I was going. Is that he's kind of since I don't want to say since Ghost Dog, because definitely not since Ghost Dog, but he's kind of trafficked in these genre movies. I'd like, say he'll make a he'll make a regular movie and then he'll make the, a kind of no, limits of control. Movie. Limits of control is kind of it's kind of like beginning into getting kind of into no, that but genre because you, you have that you have the samurai stuff of Ghost Dog and then you have a couple years where you know he's doing coffee and cigarettes. Coffee and he's doing cigarettes broken is flowers. fairly kind of gimmicky. But um, I love coffee and cigarettes. I do like I was, do not like broken flowers. I, I hate, hate broken hate flowers. Broken yeah. flowers. Yeah. But coffee and cigarettes came out right when me and my buddy were getting really into Jim Jarmusch movies and Down by Law. Um, is one of those Criterion movies for me that we like found a copy of Down by Law and we like cherished it. I don't. I think he took it with him wherever he is. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see this kind of new, like I don't want to say old man, but late middle aged Jim Jarmusch, um, where he's kind of a he's an established director at this point and can all. So it means he can kind of do anything he wants. Yeah. Um, so that'll be that'll be good. I hopefully. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for that, too. Um, it, it didn't make my list just because Jarmusch isn't, like, one of my favorite directors. I really like Coffee and Cigarettes. I liked um, Only Lovers Left Alive, but Broken Flowers, just I really had a, had a negative reaction to that uh-huh. film, so I'm, I'm still hesitant mm-hmm. about Jarmusch. Uh, my number two, highly predictable. Um, I'm optimistic in that he's not going to go into the gimmick garbage can that he's gone into in the last three of his movies. Once upon a time in Hollywood. That's my number. That was the movie I was debating between that and and. Oh, that's your number two as yeah. well. Yeah, right. we definitely have different number ones. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, late nineteen sixties, nineteen sixty nine, Los got Angeles. Everything you around. want, man. Charles Manson. I'm really hoping he pulls this one back. You know, after after Hateful Eight and after Inglorious Bastards, I like Django and Chain a lot. Um, me too. But those two just went too fucking far for me. I, I've. It's a movie that uh, Glorious Bastards, I think, is garbage. It's just really channeled by two incredible performances, the obvious one and Christoph Waltz. 
and the other one in middle lane Laurent. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and they, like you said, buoyed by a couple incredible sequences, but overall it's a fucking garbage oh, I game. I hated it. And I wanted to really like it because of those performances, because of those scenes, but then after the scenes are over, you're just like, nope, it stinks. It yeah, and, <laughs> it stinks. And, and, you know, Django Unchained in a lot of ways kind of goes also leans into that kind of craziness, but, like, it's still conservative in some ways. In, in some ways, the same ways that kind of, like, Kill Bill Volume 2 was. I think Kill Bill Volume 1 stinks as well. Um, yeah. And Volume 2 kind of does that craziness, but kind of reserves a bit of it. And I'm hoping this... I hope this actually is more reserved. I hope this is kind of a return to something like Jackie Brown. I know there's going to be those eccentricities that he does. Um, he's still a really solid director, but he's kind of getting into this like gimmick thing, and I'm hoping he well, doesn't, doesn't it, go there. Doesn't it kind of? I don't know how if like you've seen any like the uh, the stills that they've released from like the set and stuff like that. Yeah, I've looked it, at a couple. It reminds me. Seen so... those Margot Robbie ones. Well, and I've actually just the idea that like. Brad Pitt is Leonardo DiCaprio's stunt double. I find really fascinating, and like the pictures of them is uh, kind of interesting. Um, it looks so much like a Martin Scorsese. It wants to be like a Martin Scorsese movie. I'm interested if it's gonna hew. I'm interested to see what Tarantino does to make this movie his. Yeah, I think you know what I mean because it's such a Scorsese kind of. It's got a Scorsese-ish cast um, in the fact that DiCaprio's like leading it. Um, when you know, how he cast P- Kevin Smith's daughter. <laughs> It's 60s period, which is, you know, Scorsese likes that kind of, uh, that era of stuff. You've seen him do it before. Um, I'm interested to see how, because the way that, uh, you're right, the way that Tarantino has been working is not going to work for this. No. So I'm interested to see where the next Tarantino, iter- if this is the next Tarantino iteration, you know what I mean? If he's kind of, you know, um, I don't want to say become a more cohesive director, um, but this movie seems like it would lend itself to that kind of cohesion and not the kind of um, either terrible mess or glorious mess that Inglorious Bastards, Django, and The Hateful Eight were. That's, I mean, that's kind of my feeling about, about this movie. Yeah, um, no, no, I 100%. But I, I actually feel I'm so much more looking forward to this movie than I am to it, but I feel like the same, I'm worried that the same thing's going to happen. That it's just yeah. it's just not going to work for some reason. All right, so what's your number one? Uh, what's your number one? I think my number one might be a little more divisive. My number one is may not get a release this year, but if it does, it's always... <laughs> my number one probably won't get released this year either. It's always the stuff that I'm going to go... Um, I'm always going to go see her movies regardless of you know whatever is happening in my life. Oh, um, is it late night? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's um, Kelly Reichert might have a new movie come out this year called First Cow. Um, there's actually not, I have not even any actors or actresses all. attached to it. Um, it's another period movie. Um, it's adapted from uh, ha- some of a novel um, called Half Life by Jonathan Raymond. She's, she started production on it already, so yeah, it and, it's, like, and it'll it, probably be it'll probably be released. I actually think they fi- they finished filming late last yeah, year, December late or December of last year, um, so. I'm assuming it'll come out. It just doesn't have a date yet. Um, but it's Kelly Reichert. I'm. We're going to talk about Kelly Reichert in a couple weeks on our list. Um, uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, and her are my go-to American directors. Um, that whatever they put out, I'm going to see it, and I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to see it again at some point when it comes out and think about it some more. Um, so that's my that's my number one, not your number one, Miss Mid. No, I didn't. Oh, okay, good. Um, my number one might come out in 2019, just like it was supposed to come out 
in 2018 because it's been finished since 2017. Mm. There's another sophomore follow-up, David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake. Oh, it'll come out. It's got to come out. Yeah. We don't know, man. A24 has been crazy about this. Well, that's because it's, it's apparently shit. I don't know. There's, 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 it's, it's divisive, though. It's. I don't know. I mean, we don't. Like want to I don't. I don't know. Because it's got like a fifty-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, doesn't it? Yeah, but a lot of the, it, it, it's basically people that, were wrong about Stoner. Bohemian Rhapsody too. And look where it is. So there you go. Uh, to be fair, I have, <laughs> I have a ton of movies that are about fifty percent that are on my top list. Um, uh, I love the Stoner neo noir film. Uh, Big Lebowski is, uh-huh. a, is a movie I enjoy somewhat, possibly. Okay. Yeah, I like Inherent Vice much more than you did. Mm-hmm. Um, immensely more, I think, than you did. I'm blaming Thomas Pynchon for that, but yes. Um, and, and you know, some of the positive reviews for this have said that this is more in line with Inherent Vice than Paul Thomas Anderson's version was. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's been criticized for its 140 minute long runtime. Mm-hmm. A24 keeps like demanding that David Robert Mitchell like re-edits it. I don't know why they care. Nobody can like just, just put fucking it out. release it. Um, but I really like David Robert Mitchell's first film. It follows. It follows is a movie we will talk about extensively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In a year and a half, it it redefined horror for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. I think technically one of the most perfect horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe the most perfect true-blooded like genre horror uh, that's that's not inspiring to do something else. Um, you got another disaster piece score. I think the the it follows score is tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's I need to not look at the Wikipedia page for this because it just has the plot there. <laughs> um, and the fact that a lot of the reviews for it that have been negative kind of says it's meandering and doesn't need to be two and a half hours and that it just decides to lose its plot halfway through is a hundred percent what i want hmm. to see in a neo-noir stoner detective film i i want a film that is meandering that is confused that just plods around with no purpose mm-hmm. and you know he has such a visual eye and and he has such a, a tone that even you know the negative reviews say it does capture that, but it just doesn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with looking at that for you know 140 minutes. If Andrew Garfield is compelling, I guess. Yeah, no, like this is going to be a movie that's hinged on its performances. You know, like let's hope Topher Grace can continue his run of surprisingly good performances. Um, it's just one. <laughs> well, you know, you got to start a run somewhere, man. <laughs> uh. Yeah, no, and like some of the, the some of the good reviews for us have said that are like some of the reviews for it have said that Garfield does well. It's like not even an attack on performances; it just says the movie's not doing anything. It just says it's poorly edited and 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 wanders around. And I want that. I don't give a shit. I'll watch it. I I, I thought think it's an Inherent Vice. I thought Inherent Vice was too short. Inherent Vice was pushing up or maybe even crossing two hours. I want these movies to be long. I want these movies to just kind of plod around because mm-hmm. that's what that's that's the tone it sets i i can settle into a tone of a film and fucking hopefully this movie comes out this year it's gonna come out <laughs> yeah hopefully a24 just goes like fuck it release it well it's got a it's march i think now, march right? or april yeah i thought it was march i, I don't know i, I kind of stopped following but yeah you've been waiting day. for this movie for a long long time yeah this was i mean actually to be fair this was my number one anticipated uh 2018 it just i had to take it off because there was nothing yeah, to anticipate 
Um, so yeah, those are the films we're looking forward to. Uh, hopefully we'll see if any of those movies are good. Some of them probably will be garbage. Yeah, I'm assuming because well, on my list is sophomore follow-ups, and you know, not not all the sophomores are going to insert fun. No, I don't have a lot of high hopes for next year. Which is good. It's a good. It's good to have low expectations. I I hope stuff sneaks up on me. Every girl I've ever dated, I always try to set low expectations for them, and somehow I I proceed to fail to meet those. So. I'll see if 2019 can be go. just like Mario's dating life. Right, we'll be right back with our lists. And we're back. Before we begin, Tom, there's been something I wanted to say to you for a while. Okay. I've been staring at you for six months now, and I, I think I need to tell you something. I need to give you a quarter. I need you to call a cab and get something, get a rat to gnaw that fucking thing off your face. My nose? Yes. Oh, wait, no, that's just your headphones. Sorry, continue <laughs> on. Um, so there you go. My number 76 is Uncle Buck. Buck Russell had always been the black sheep of the family. Oh, I'm stunned that I'm related to you. Until one night. Buck, we have a problem with the kids. We're stuck for somebody to watch them. Oh, please, not that. Can we trust him? My brother, for God's sake. I won't let him get into that Satan stuff or any of the new chicks. I'll leave that for me. Wow. (laughs) I'm kidding, huh? Now, he's making them breakfast. Cigar? No, thanks. Making them lunch. And making them crazy. Written and directed by John Hughes. Uh, it came out in 1989. Starring John Candy as Buck Russell. Um, a great Macaulay Culkin. A young Macaulay Culkin as Miles Russell. Uh, Gabby Hoffman, um, who was a big famous movie star in the 80s and early 90s. And then was a, a student for a while and is now back to being a, a movie star. Um, plays Miles' sister Maisie. Um, Jean Louisa Kelly plays Tia Russell, their older sister. Amy Madigan plays Shanice Kobolowski, Buck's girlfriend. Um, it's don't, I, don't forget about the great Jay Underwood, who's now a uh, Baptist church pastor, I believe. Oh, is he really? Yeah. Oh, good for him. Um, Uncle Buck is a weird movie for me. So we're in an interesting place in my list, I think. When I got to when we were when I was creating my list, there was a whole bunch of movies that I put on, um, like my long list, that were directly related to my childhood and like revealing something. <clears throat> perhaps I think about being an adult as a child, and and uh, you know, so these movies are like um, another John Hughes written movie, Dutch, which is a movie I love. Um, Major League was on this list. Um, something like Mrs. Doubtfire was on this list. Um, these are movies that I saw as a kid. And again, I had a, perhaps like a prudish film-going experience when I was a kid. Um, so my 
adult revelations didn't come in the form of watching someone get their head chopped off or, you know, some other kind of thing. You know, I've talked before about Mark Maron's story about him going to see Deliverance when he was seven. Um, or as we've talked about with, with yeah, me, with you, yeah, yeah. my childhood um, was marked by horror. I don't have any of those. So mine are really, I feel like, moral situations. Like, more, like morally adult situations. Um, so something like Major League has always stuck out with me um, as a movie I saw. I saw a lot when I was a kid. Um, you know, you know, sneak sneak ten minutes of it in the video on videotape. Try to see them take the last piece of the of the dress off the owner of their team. Um, there's so much swearing in Major League. Like that's I, I feel like that's I must have learned to swear from that movie. It was like the swearing in Major League was so profound. It was expressed to me that it was not okay you know what i mean like someone would had to tell me like it wasn't okay um but that your appreciation of renee russo was my appreciation probably more for tom berenger oh yeah you know what i mean so um, corbin burnson corbin burnson corbin also Burnson's very good. good looking in that movie <laughs> he is he plays that's a, a great movie he I can't feel but he's he's very handsome um yeah major league is a great movie i even like major league two and three major league two is i, I like major league two a lot too actually charlie sheen's in a lot of comedy sequels that i think are just as good as the like hot shots um major league um i don't know is that the only two <laughs> I was like that's not gonna say they're going like is there other the ones? arrival two no is he in the arrival two? I, I don't I think he's it. in the arrival two. um but i feel like something happened with this movie too so something similar happened with this movie in the sense that i was exposed to like a very adult theme probably way too young and it stuck with me my whole life so if you've never seen uncle buck you should fucking see it for one because it's john hughes's best movie even even though i'm sure mario will disagree with me and the all the whole world will disagree with me i um, mean it's not my favorite john hughes movie but i don't i traditionally don't like john hughes so yeah and i'm i'm a big i i Back and forth. Some of, some of John Hughes's written stuff is great. Some of John Hughes's written stuff isn't so great. But um, I would I would not be upset if somebody called this his best movie. It's definitely Baron Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, so, so so that's the thing. So like the John Hughes movies that really stick with me. Like I I've always hated The Breakfast Club. Sixteen Candles I think is a stupid movie. Sixteen Candles is awful um, and racist. But like so this Uncle Buck um, Ferris Bueller's. I got exposed to Ferris Bueller's very young, and I really like Ferris Bueller's. Um, something like Curly Sue. I watched a lot of Curly Sue when I was a kid. I thought Curly Sue was a great movie. We have a I fun thought, discussion in a few weeks, by the way. We won't have a fun discussion. It's going to be <laughs> one of the most terrible weeks for me because um, I despise. You don't even that movie. have to. You don't have to rewatch it. Though. Um, I will. It's the spirit of the movie, but I really so I really like Curly Sue. Um, I like Curly Sue's a lot as a kid. I've never come back to it. I haven't afraid. either. Of like the nostalgic goggles of Curly Sue. Yes, um, I've been watching a lot of walkthroughs of uh, or playthroughs on YouTube would, of Sega Genesis games. I would agree with you that Uncle Buck might be his best directed movie. Actually, yeah, you know, Uncle Buck might legitimately be his best movie. I just have more profound impact with another film as yeah, when yeah. I was younger. Sure, um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and Weird Science are also those really are good. those are great movies too. But those are movies that didn't have any kind of impact yeah. on me. Um, Uncle Buck. Um, John Candy plays Uncle Buck. Obviously, he, um, his brother, um, and his wife 
live in Indianapolis now. They lived in Chicago. Now they live in Indianapolis. Um, Buck's brother's wife's father has a heart attack. They have to leave. They are stuck for someone to watch their kids. So they begrudgingly call Buck, um, who is whose main area of employment is gambling on racehorses. Um, he doesn't want to go work at the uh, auto body shop or the tire uh place where uh her his girlfriend Shanice works um you know he says to her if I if I could think of a reason not to go in I would um he uh matches wits with the older daughter Tia um who is I guess she's supposed to be 15 but I I I have to imagine Jean Kelly at that point was probably in her 20s but I could be wrong um and one of the things that I think this movie gets criticized for is that he stays fairly crass through the whole movie. Like, I think people want it to be a movie where he kind of learns to be lighthearted and, you know, gets this kind of newfound appreciation for family and for kids. But I think he always had those things. It's no, just it's, the it's, nature it's a, of his It's a framing. It's, it's 100% a movie. And that's why I'd say when I argued it's one of his best directed is it's a movie that frames itself to where he doesn't have to have this like unrealistic craft like change of his character, but more a fact that the people around him appreciate yes, what he's doing. Exactly. He's, he's, everything he does is in the best interest of the people around yep. him. He cares about people. He has a good heart. From the beginning and, of the movie, yeah. you can tell he's a good guy. Yeah, like he he's a fuck up in a lot of ways, but you know, he's a good guy and he does things early on that show he's a good guy and he just really leans into mm-hmm. being a good guy while still, you know, talking about doing a ritual killing on, on a bug, kid. You know? Um, but that's so bug, I think, is really the interest, is where the movie gets interesting for me um, in the sense that in, you know, what is the, are we calling that the climax of the movie? This movie, I feel like this movie yeah, it's, ends it's, it's like a three good, or four it's a times. Good turn. It's the good, the good. Um, when he go, when so Tia leaves, you know, him and Tia are fighting, 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 um, and we're just going through like the general plot points, and we, we're going to discuss, you know, the movie more in depth in a second. Um, but when he goes to that house party that he thinks Tia is that Tia is supposed to be at with Bug, and um, they intercut him walking through the house with Bug, you know, trying to take the the underpants off a girl who's telling him not to and he's you know trying to convince her that she wants to go through with it um and he's taking off his shirt and they have that music playing there's some really great late 80s rap music playing through this whole thing which somehow perfectly um exemplifies buck's character um and then he kicks in the you know he takes a drill and he drills through the hole and yeah um, yeah, the light comes on and Bug sits up and he sees him there and then the that other girl sits up and it's not Tia. And I remember as a kid, and I definitely saw it on videotape and I was probably 10, 11 when I first saw this movie, really being aware that that girl did not want to have sex with that guy. And that this was big, like, this is a big deal. You know what I mean? And that there's that great moment where she sits up and you, you know, he, John Hughes is just kind of showing her face, and he doesn't really show Bug's face at all. Then he's just showing her face, and just like this deer in the headlights look. And Buck is just kind of like, well, "What the fuck do I like? What do I do now? Like, what the fuck do I do?" And then he gets this Buck smile on his face, and he does something awesome, um, which Roger Ebert, in his one and a half star review, 
like called like sadistic and and what when he know. revs the drill again? No, like when he you know he take he obviously ties him up with duct tape and puts him in the trunk of his car and then but then he first like hits revs, golf balls at him. Yeah, but he first like revs the drill. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that's great. And um, but I knew, but I I could sense there was a there was a, a there was something morally repugnant going on here, and um, if we're, when we're if we're talking as like a pivotal film perspective, that's that's like stuck with me for like forever. You know what I mean? Like, and I can still, I have a physical, like I was just saying before I was playing, I've been feeling very nostalgic recently, maybe because of having watched this movie and I was uh, on YouTube. There's really pathetic things called like playthroughs where people play through video games and you could just watch someone play through a video game. Yeah. Pathetic. I never watched those at all. (laughs) So I was watching, um, old Sega Genesis walkthroughs and, they're really interesting because I remember having very like f- like physical tactile sensations of playing like the X Men game or like the Jurassic Park game, um, and I kind of had the same thing watching this movie, and especially in that part, um, like a real ups- like a-, a feeling of being upset. Even though I know that stuff better, and I, I you know more films have gone more. Are, Films are more graphic about that stuff now. You know what I mean? Um, there's more obvious depictions of moral, um, you know, uh, of immorality, sexual immorality on film. Um, but this was the first one, and it's kind of a big deal for me. Um, the genius of this movie, though, is that it's wrapped up in some of, like, like one of the funniest scripts that John Hughes has has ever concocted, I would imagine. Um, just between between Buck and um, Macaulay Culkin's Miles, it's yeah. just you know. What's the it's record a for questions asked? Thirty eight. I'm your dad's brother, all right. Well, just like I mean, <laughs> when when Buck comes in, and he's like, "Oh, the dog's a ball sniffer," and then they're like, "Don't oh, don't say that." And he's like, "What's the other word for balls?" Oh, right, nuts. And, it's, and when T sees Tia waiting there at the door, and he's like, "Are you waiting for your sex?" And then he sees when he sees Tia and Bug making out, and he's like, "That's a stupid thing to be doing during flu season." Those are great. Those lines are. Who left, he's like, six who left the old. cat out? We don't have a cat. <laughs> and and no, it's it's so. I mean, we'll, we'll talk in a, in a few weeks about a movie that people say is kind of Hughes's like profound emotional impact of the eighties and. Whatever. I think that's kind of like middle-class people doing middle-class people things from a standpoint. What's interesting to me about this film is you have, you know, the upper middle-class kind of like yes, middle, Midwest yes. family okay. um, kind of seeming okay and perfect. And, and they're way more fucked up than Buck is. Yeah. Buck has his problems. But like you said, Buck isn't the one that needs the turn. Tia's the one that needs the turn, and she's the one that does have the turn. And, his, and her parents and, and this, need the turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and you have that kind of like critique of of this this post trickle down reagan 80s saying like you know sometimes fucking like a working class person with a good head on their heart doesn't is going in the right direction yes they need some direction in terms of his relationship with the amy madigan character he needs that but tia is a fucking dick you know yeah like where she like bitches to her mom about the takeout food and, and just constantly sarcastic and she and Buck doesn't need to change. Buck doesn't need to do anything different. He just shows her like, hey, sometimes you have a support system that you're not sure of and that's going to be there for you despite you being a big... Yeah, like me. Corrected myself. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, and you know, like that is is in, that's interesting, especially defined by some of the movies that like Hughes had done before, like The Breakfast Club, like Sixteen Candles, which I think have a lot of problematic things of being kind of you know middle class, upper middle class people dealing with their upper middle class problems and everything not really else mattering, mm-hmm. and and there being no real true sense of no real true sense. This one to me does because it's it's saying someone who who's seen by that world as a fuck up seen by that world is kind of like an un, you know undesirable and untouchable sort of thing being the one who has the most depth to his emotional you know skeleton mm-hmm. um he he's the one that is the person who's kind of like guiding the emotions and and kind of leading these people through their trauma and and through their their shittiness you know well, and because everyone else is kind of putting on an act the whole time. Like, yeah. they're putting on a suburban, like, oh, now maybe, we're suburban. Maybe not so much Miles. <laughs> no, no, not Miles. Um, and not Maisie either. Um, but they're putting on a suburban kind of play. You know what I mean? Like, this is how we do things now, and we all And do especially this, and... in 1980s, you know, comedy. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, there, it's like the suburbs of Indianapolis, I guess, which are really nice. And... Um, you know, across the street from Wrigley Field in Chicago, there's this like inherent classist like depiction of like these people are doing well. All of these people living in Chicago are doing badly, and they all go bowling and do weird toothpick things with their mouths. They all work in tire shops. They all race horses and drink Miller High Life. Um, the they all of smoke beers. all the time. I know if we weren't doing this mutually assured destruction thing, I would have brought some high life over that's what we would have drank tonight um which would have made you sad i know but it would have been in almost maybe maybe better um (laughs) too many stouts too many stouts too many stouts it's the it's the stouts problem um it's almost it's to me it's a more honest depiction of that class stuff than something like the breakfast club where you have judd nelson's character wearing a costume you know what I mean? Yeah, no. I, I think a lot of, like, 16 Candles and Breakfast Club, despite really liking Breakfast Club, um, and even to a degree, Weird Science, are, are really unauthentic. They're, they're stage plays, yeah, yeah. As, it, as it were. And it's interesting that, like, in Uncle Buck and Dutch, in a way, I really like Dutch. Um, and Curly Sue, in there are three movies that are very concerned with class. And the whole movies hinge on this dichotomy between these two classes. Um, so, um, I guess Uncle Buck though has the biggest heart of those movies, only in the sense that it seems the least um, calculated. Because Jim Belushi's Curly Sue character is very manipulative. Like from a char- from a filmmaking standpoint, you know, from a character standpoint, um, the Ed O'Neill Ethan Embry relationship is is manipulative as well because Ethan Embry is such a such an a- an asshole. You know what I mean? Where in this one, everyone's generally a good person, except for the clown um, and Bug. Um, those are the villains, I guess, but all the main characters are good people. And John Hughes isn't really saying that one person is better than the other. He's saying that this... Cl- 
<clears throat> this classism which they you know they're reacting to doesn't prevent people from um like from families being families you know what i mean or from people loving each other where i think a lot of these i think a lot of the characters think that it does um and it's i mean it's an interesting movie to watch in 2019 like for those reasons when we're still we're dealing with now with like similar class issues where people from you know we don't know what's going on in certain areas of the country um in the same way that you know they seem to not know what's going on in in, in this movie also yeah i don't know um but it's 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 really funny i mean john candy is fucking <laughs> john candy is fucking great well i think i think this is 100% a movie that shows that john candy you know unfortunately with his untimely death was on a trajectory of being a profound actor like this and some of his other performances really show that he had emotional range and depth mm-hmm. and that you know it's this is his grand best performance to me in my opinion yeah i'd be interested to see i mean if we had any people that were willing to email us or like people that really like john candy that wanted to have a discussion with us about like what john candy's best performances are i'd be interested to hear it i mean he was really good in jfk it was a very small part um but he was really good in it um, but I just think he, the way that he kind of stacks his his lines on top of each other, I think is really fascinating. And they don't really do that in comedies anymore, I guess. Like, have a guy just run his mouth continuously. I mean, I guess Vince Vaughn was doing that for a while, right? Like, with Wedding Crashers and whatever other Owen Wilson movies he was making at the time. Um, but just, <laughs> like, when his brother calls him the first time and he's, you know, he's asleep and he's talking about... Um, you know, he's asking if the, he can take care of the kids, and he thinks the kids are going to come over to his house, and he's just like, you know, we can get some toys and some peanut butter, it'll be fun. <laughs> I was like, what does that even mean? Toys and peanut are those, like, the same thing? Um, and then there's that, I mean, I feel like the phone call scene is kind of a classic film scene at this point, when he's talking to Shanice, and you only hear his end, and she keeps interrupting him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just it's just... Um, and then the great scene, which we opened, we're going to open the show with, or we opened the show with, um, where he's yelling at that woman. I mean, Roger Ebert and a couple of other people like that were commenting on Roger Ebert's review singled that scene out as like particularly cruel. And an example of how like in John Hughes's later films, he kind of lost his heart and was like heartless in a way and a little more like in Home Alone. Yeah, how knows. heartless he was in Home Alone, and well, in Curly's suit too. Yeah, that that little girl, she's no good. Um, but yeah, that he seemed to be like mocking that woman. It's like no, it's just fun. it's it's still it's still 1989. Yeah, like I'm not sure they're gonna do that. Like they're gonna make fun of a war on a woman's face in 2019, but in 1989, that was still fair game. So when he sits down and says Buck Melanoma, Molly Russell's wart, like that's that's good fucking stuff. No, it's 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 an hilarious film, and it is a hilarious film. Uncle Buck. All right, we'll be right back with Mario's seventy six in just a second. I'm a big fan of animated shorts. I think we talked about that during our animated shorts episode. What about animated pants? Do you like those? Uh, jorts. Mostly animated jorts. Um, and a lot of that is based upon the fact that when I was young, 
I watched a series of shorts that I adored. Mm-hmm. Those were Wallace and Gromit. Mm. And that's why my number 76 is the 2005 Best Animated Feature winning Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Rare Rabbit. It all, pal. I'll need assistance. <laughs> Ow! One's an inventor. Just a bit of harmless brain alteration, that's all. Who never says die. Full suction. The other is his dog, who never says anything. Directed by Nick Park and Steve Box. This film would beat Howl's Moving Castle and Tim Burton's Corpse Bride. Why the fuck was Tim Burton's Corpse Bride nominated that year? Because people thought Tim Burton was really interesting back then. And they're like, oh, wow, he actually did not really do anything with... uh, Big it was Fish. Henry Selick. Was Big all, Fish was ruined every, his life. Henry Selick was the one that actually did that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Big Fish ruined his life. We can talk about that at a different time. Is Big Fish on your list? Fuck no. I was like, Big, that's why I was like, what? But Big, I did not see that. Big and Fish came out like after a bunch of other things came out, and everyone was like, Big Fish, Big Fish, Big Fish. Fuck Big Fish. And they thought it was going to be Tim Burton's like Oscar movie. And then it was a piece of total garbage. So yeah, that movie's awful. Yeah. Except for you. I like Ewan McGregor in that. But I just like Ewan McGregor. Uh... This is a movie that has a plot about a rare rabbit. It was an October 2005 release. Mm-hmm. So a rabbit destroying a bunch of vegetables during an upcoming major vegetable sort of celebration in town. But it doesn't matter. What matters is it's 85 minutes of Wallace and Gromit. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid... Getting these 20 to 30 minute slices of Wallace and Gromit, close shave, all the great ones. Even up to like the Matter of Loaf and Death in 2009, which should have beat Logoramia. Fuck that movie. <laughs> um, Logorama, sorry. Uh, I like how you hold these grudges. Matter of Loaf and Death is great. Logorama's garbage. <laughs> Fuck Logorama, man. Um, they just were scared to not give Wallace and Gromit movie another Oscar. I just lived and breathed Wallace and Gromit. Mm-hmm. It's a mo- a series with such profound heart and an earnestness and a tremendous visual style. I've never been a big claymation guy, but this is mm-hmm. absolutely a film that beyond anywhere is probably my favorite in terms of animation. Mm-hmm. Um and to see this now on the big screen in an elongated form was made me at the time. I, and I really was looking forward to this. This was one of my most anticipated movies of the year. And 2005 is actually one of my favorite years for movies. It was the first year that I really got heavily into watching films in that moment mm-hmm. of that year, you know. Seeing things like Matchpoint, which I really enjoy, um, which I think you hate, right? I do hate, but I think Woody Allen stinks, so that's... Just... And Good Night and Good Luck was really great that year, and... That's, is that a great movie too? I don't know. We have, I like good. I like good night. And good I like it. History of Violence, Munich. Well, that's, those that's were great, great movies. Movie, yeah. um, but I was really, really fucking scared going into this movie, thinking that, you know, I, I'm not a big Chicken Run guy, and so I didn't know. And this is before Shaun the Sheep or anything. I didn't know if Nick Park um, had it in him to to make something like this feature length, mm-hmm. and it is picture perfect to me. In yeah. terms of following that heart of Wallace and Gromit, 
while also extending the budget and having this, you know, there's there's a bit of flatness to the Wallace and Gromit um, shorts. Yeah. And I think that's more of a budget thing. But this one's visually really stunning. You know, that, that scene um, where the were-rabbit attacks the vicar's kind of like uh, greenhouse. Mm -hmm. Like that actually is kind of like has a really cool atmosphere. It's created with a lot of like practical effects and and the lighting sound. And it's just a movie that just, it feels, I call I talk about those warm blanket movies, Mm. but watching this movie in theaters, I actually watched the constant gardener in this back to back in the theater. I went to go see constant gardener. I was really bummed out about life. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, I saw this, and it was just fucking such a good antidote, an anti-pesto to, to The Constant Gardener. Constant Gardener is a great movie, too, but, um, you know, well, so I don't now, know what to say about this, except the f- fact that... Continue, sorry. The fact that, you know, Wallace and Gromit, it's humorous style. I've always adored British yes. humor. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we talked about that a long time ago with a fish called Wanda. A fish uh, called Wanda and shot in the dark and yeah, exactly. And, and and this is so pure. It's it's so undiluted. Um, it, it's it's to its pristine value of like very on the nose humor. Uh, that great Seymour Wallace is telling Bromit to like put a little oomph into the lady rabbit scene and mm-hmm. he does that little kick step. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's just fucking adorable. And this movie is just like buries itself. It, in in the mythos, it, as it were, so are, are the the them, the themes of, of Wallace and Gromit, mm-hmm. and it just is such an enjoyable experience. It's one of the most fun times I've ever had with a film mm-hmm. in, in the theater. Um, and I actually haven't seen this in nine years. So coming back to it for the podcast, I was a little afraid that you know, once again, maybe I had those goggles on. Um, and you know, it's still still the same. Still that same emotion. And, and this is, if I ever have a kid that I don't, um, <laughs> this would be the one that I, this would be my, my first introduction to, to film for them. Well, it's funny. So I'm, I didn't grow up with Wallace and Gromit. Um, I knew who they were, but I didn't like see any of the movies or anything. Um, did you have a big, what was your impression of, like the mind melding or the brainwashing scenes like as a Wallace and Gromit person did you find those like the kind of computer generated effects to be a kind of affront to when you first saw it like an affront to like the original aesthetic of Wallace and Gromit no cuz i think i think they still carry some of the i don't want to say hokiness but they still carry some of the believability in the effects, the effects aren't so pristine and so well done mm-hmm. that you could believe that they're kind of in this claymation world, you know, especially that mind melding scene, like, like when they, the rabbits start floating and all that. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. That's probably and then, CGI. Just in like the stuff that's coming like out little, of like the, yeah. the waves of, of you don't like vegetable thoughts. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, it still carries this kind of visual flair. Like this movie has such a, a grasp on its visual tone, and a lot of times when 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 a feature, and I can't think of something off the top of my head, but I just something I see a lot when something is small, maybe even like the Saul short. The Saul short when it got expanded kind of loses a lot of its kind of like in intimacy that it had in this short, and becomes kind of like the, a little bigger, even though it's still a small budgeted film. Um, 
when somebody gets you know more money to do or, or, or sets their 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 eyes kind of higher, mm. they kind of lose that tone that they've set. And while, and even with the computer effects, and even though they're reaching for the stars with what they're doing in the effects, I mean, I think I think a matter of loaf and death actually maybe kind of goes further and it starts losing it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, this still feels so much like an extended short of something like a close shave yeah, yeah, other yeah. others um, well, and I kind 90 of, shorts and I feel like the same thing is true about like Shaun the Sheep and then the Shaun the Sheep movie um, but there's there's something for me in especially these things that are kind of I don't know down to earth like all of these like um, you know Wallace and Cromit and Shaun the Sheep the shorts and, the, and like the TV shows and stuff like that are so grounded they're so very grounded and the fact that they're claymation grounds them even more that I've always kind of had a problem with what you were just talking about. Like when they get some more money, they go big and I don't always want them to go big, but I also understand that like an hour and a half of a Wallace and Gromit short might not cut it like as a movie And this movie did really well. The box yeah, made $150 million off of like a in worldwide off of a, Thirty or so million dollar budget, and it was number. I think it was number one for for at least the first week, maybe even two. Was it? I don't think it. Did. I don't think it was number one. I thought it was, but I could be wrong. Um, but I think that's it's an interesting, you know, where you go when you make um, a feature length film out of out of a traditionally a, a short film, you know, conceit. Um, I don't know. I like this. I like this movie, but it gets there's moments when it's too much, when it's doing too many things, and I just want to like, oh, stop doing the things, stop, stop make, like the airplane chase is funny, and I I'm glad that they kind of stick things in the middle of it, like how Gromit has to add more quarters to the plane to make it fly again. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that like catches me is is these yeah they're big scenes for this kind of you know big budget. DreamWorks kind of production, but they do carry elements that that are just so heavily leaning into, you know, the, the, Wallace, the, the yeah. Wallace and Gromit story, the the bookshelf with waiting for Gouda yeah, and yeah. Bree encounter, you know. Um, and I think I had read somewhere that you know, I'm not, I didn't really check the veracity of this, but like that DreamWorks even wanted to replace like Peter Sellis his voice with Why? Like, something more more well known. Um, and the fact that you know, it's like Nick Parker was like, yeah, no, no, we're not. Ardman was like, yeah, we're not. You can't we're do not going to do that. <laughs> That's not um, like a thing that can be yeah. done. Also, like that would be awful. Um, but but they do have these big set pieces, but they throw something in there that's so much like Wallace and Gromit. And I think um, I can't. Oh man, what's the one? I can't remember the short's name now. Um, the one where they go to the moon. I think it's the first one. Um, I should have watched the shorts in preparation for this. Uh, you know, that, that, is that a grand day out, I think, where they go to the... Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, a grand day out, the first one. Like, that has some big moments in it. Uh, you know, that has a nice kind of big set piece in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of it felt it in that same yeah. vein. I mean, have you watched the, the shorts? Not, not many of them. And if I have, I, have, I don't remember them. There's only, I think there's only 
four. But we go through, like, I go through this stuff when I watch something like Inside Out. And it's one of the reasons that Ratatouille is on my list and not Inside Out. Because when Inside Out gets up, it gets crazy. And I don't. I can't take it. I can't stomach it anymore. And I, and I think that's the thing that's nice about Curses of Were-Rabbit is it doesn't really get big. I mean, it gets it has it gets bigger set than, pieces. It gets bigger than it than it um, like it starts, but yeah, it doesn't get yeah. bananas. Yeah, no, it doesn't need a huge set piece. It's always kind of still contained in this world. I mean, mm-hmm. this is kind of very sort of ridiculous world, but it still remains with in the theme of Wallace and Gromit. And that's why I think it was a movie, I mean, it ended up being a success, but it didn't feel so much like an affront or like an expansion uh, of the world they had created for those shorts, but it just felt like a continuation, and it just felt like it was made for the people. It was made, obviously, they make money, because that's what movies are made for. Um, nah. But it was made, well, these types of movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I DreamWorks, mean, I... DreamWorks was, was definitely hoping for a box office return on this. Um <laughs> But it was made in such a way that it, it it did feel authentic. It did not do anything as as somebody who had seen who had watched a close shave, had watched a grand day out, had watched wrong trousers um, before this. You know those movies did not at all feel. This movie did not at all feel like it was going way. Bigger. It was going off. The, it was no, like it, you know it felt like losing just, the, yeah, the thread. It felt yeah, like yeah. you know either they're going from the ten to fifteen minute long short to eighty five minutes. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that, like, this movie took five years to make. Well, that's That they just, had to. Yeah. Got three seconds of footage on average a day. And just, like, a technical achievement. And it's 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 a, it's a kind of sad that's kind of, like, lost in time. You know, the studios burnt down, I think, shortly after A Matter of Loaf and Death. Or maybe mm-hmm. they made Loaf and Death right after. I know, this, I know Armin's studios burnt down, so that's lost. And now, I think Celis is dead after a long life. That guy lived. Well, they're still making movies like early man yeah, I mean, was okay was fine early man's yeah early man's definitely a movie made for uh is that is that nick park though i thought it was i cannot remember if that's nick i know that is um he did yeah he did do that one i know his art man i just didn't know if he directed it yeah early man is is fine um when they have the new Shaun the sheep movie coming out this year as oh, well uh, that oh, that Farmageddon or whatever, um, but Wallace and Gromit's kind of always been my thing. You know, like this this was the thing as a kid that I loved mm-hmm. you know, more than like the Disney animated films. Like Wallace and Gromit is my thing. I loved cheese as yeah, a kid. Yeah. I loved anthropomorphic dogs. I loved Britain, <laughs> and you know. This was just the culmination of that for me. Mm-hmm. And now that it's gone completely, at least I have this to look back to. I feel like I want to play some music. I don't want to wait. <laughs> I know that works, but whatever. All right. Well, that is our episode 76. We will be back next week with our episode 75. We're one-fourth of the way through our list. It's bananas. Bananas. That's 25%. And next week, we promise we won't drink a stout. A 25% is a quarter, which you need to get a rat and all that thing off your face. Yeah, Good you day, go. sir. That's brought it full circle there. Well, um, not really circle, because it happened a third way through the podcast. Brought us full to 66%. We do talk a lot about fractions on this podcast. Too much. 
That's that's next. <laughs> Pivotal fractions. <laughs> you know what's a good fraction? Three eighths. Oh, we're gonna have a talk. <laughs> we're gonna have a talk out there. Um, if you want to talk about your favorite fractions, do it somewhere else. If you want to talk about <laughs> films or beer, text us. Our tweet. Yeah, no, just <laughs> text us. Here's my phone number. Uh, tweet us at twitter.com slash filmpivotal, uh, which I will get more active on starting tomorrow. That'll be my February decree. Yeah. Um, Twitter's yeah. so hard. While you're watching Velvet Buzzsaw, you can, you can tweet some things. Oh, I can live tweet Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh, I'm yeah, not going to do that. You should do that. Should um, I do that? Let's see. Yeah, why not? Um, we'll talk about that next week, by the way. That'll if be your you inbox. think we should live tweet Velvet Buzzsaw, you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list and of uh, the beers we drank and links to how you can subscribe and links to our top 10 from 2018 and various other things. Um, but until then, see a movie, drink a beer, and talk to you next week. Thank you.